Psychological meaning. We're gonna dive deep into your inner world, so you can discover where and how you need to grow. I'm your host, Jen, a licensed professional counselor, MDiv earner, and all-around curious soul. My mythical lawyers want me to remind you that all the information in this podcast is most definitely not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. If you enjoy this podcast do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Okay, enough of that business. Let's dive in. How long till my soul gets it right? Harmonize the indigo girls in a rare exception to the no drums allowed music of my childhood. I learned to love Galileo through them, loving the idealized version of their king of night vision that king of insight. In our 10th episode of the season, The Unveiling, we're exploring what it means to allow our mystery to be unveiled, and how it requires a certain kind of night vision to make sense of the dark landscape of our psyche. Perhaps more concretely, I'm going to tell you the story of how I came to be a client, a therapy client and the missteps along the way. I remember art class more vividly than many spaces of places. There was something important about how the light filtered through the windows there, even though one of the double-wide trailers for the class I was in almost always blocked the view. But the light still could come in, and the light has its own magic. It found you no matter how hidden away you were. That room smelled of Elmer's glue, pastels, and that distinctive odor that buildings that are a little run down, but well-loved nonetheless, always have. I was never very good at art. I don't really suppose I am now. But I loved it, loved it enough to not feel competitive, to not want to do anything but to be in art's presence. I loved it so much. I don't remember any of the other people in that room and any of the art classes that punctuated my elementary school existence. When I go back there in my memories, I only see the room itself, empty of any other human. It's just me, and the rest of the figures fade into obscurity. I've long been way more comfortable being alone than connected. And in art class, I felt like I could create anything. The rules were simple. Be kind to your neighbor, clean up after yourself, and let yourself dream about what you wanted to translate from your heart onto whatever the medium of the day was. Art and therapy does not feel like that. Or I suppose it can, and it has, but the playfulness has always carried a much darker shade. I started therapy on a day where the sky was bottle blue, 
so bright it hurt my eyes. I promised myself I wouldn't cry as uncontrollably as I had on the phone consult. It wasn't the first time I'd been to therapy. The first time I went, I'd been driving home. It was back home in Massachusetts for the summer in between my junior and senior year. And I, I don't actually remember why I was driving home, but I was on this four-lane highway and I was driving home. I was driving fast 70 miles an hour. And I had this fleeting desire. And that desire told me to drive my car straight into the Big Mac truck, barreling my way on the opposite side of the highway. That truck was like one of the ones when I was little and we'd go on road trips. Those of us, the children, my brothers or friends in the back, we would pump our arm up and down to signal that they would pull the horn. Maybe because, I don't know, that's how horns in these big trucks work. But we wanted them to pull the horn, and so we'd pump our arms up and down. It was that kind of truck that I wanted to steer my car in and be annihilated by. I remember feeling a a sense of quiet after I had that thought. And you obviously know I did not drive my car into the Mack truck because I'm here and not dead. And in that sense of quiet that I felt, there was then this overwhelming panic that drenched me in a way that almost seemed more peaceful than everything that had come before. The peace scared me more than the impulse to kill myself. And so I went home and told my mother I should go to therapy. She said, okay. And we looked it up in our insurance book of providers. I I didn't know where else you got a therapist. It seemed like you had to go see them like any other doctor and any other doctor. You looked in the insurance book of providers and you chose somebody. I went to somewhere between six and 12, I can't remember exactly, CBT sessions with the therapist who took my parents' insurance. We sat in her room. There was a window where I could see the landscaping, the bushes behind her, and we sat together separated by a desk. The chairs in her office were blue and uncomfortable, institutional. And together we sat, and in that last session before I went back off to college for my senior year, she encouraged me to allow myself to play more, to dream more. She asked me, Jen, if you could do any job, what would you do? And like the overachiever I have always been, I said to her, I'd really like to be a baker at Panera. The closest Panera to my little college town was over 80 miles away. Probably wasn't going to happen. It was she said, just play. Allow yourself to imagine. Allow yourself to dream. It was one of the most absurd things I've ever been told in therapy. Absurd and profound. Truthfully, it's been harder to do than I ever would have thought. I have this Puritan rigidity just woven into me, drawn up from the soil in my home state. It's like it was in the air, and I breathed it in, and I caught it, just like you catch COVID. The final year of school, though, my college year, I searched for therapy any which way I could get it. There were no therapists in town. 
In fact, I was thinking like, surely there had to have been therapists in town. I just didn't know how to find them. And I went on sick today before I recorded today's episode. And turns out, true story, there's one therapist in the town that I went to college in. One person. And likely they weren't there 15-ish years ago. There were no therapists in town. And even if there were, I didn't know how to find them. I only knew that you could go to therapy if there were therapists who took your insurance. That was my only experience. And hardly anybody took my insurance in my little North Carolina tiny school. And so, so I didn't go to therapy. Instead, I found myself having conversations with any sensible, seemingly wise adult I could find. Mentors, professors, and the odd pastor here and there, I poured my heart out. Though, in retrospect, I was pretty measured and so incredibly contained. I was just dripping my heart out, small piece by small piece by small piece. And the tears I shed, those were only the top layer of the pain my heart had been drowning in for decades. Like Gabrine has said, and I've said to you before, my joy only knows the depths that my sorrow has carved. And my sorrow has carved a very deep well. In the midst of all this searching for therapy, people kept telling me I should consider being a therapist. I dismissed that completely out of hand. It seemed like they only thought the qualifications for being a good therapist was that you were a good listener to other people's heartbreak. And I was listening to other people's heartbreak to try to figure out my own heartbreak. And that didn't seem like, I don't know, the most considerate, selfless way to choose a profession. And it also seemed absurd that because, A, while I was good at that, like just listening to other people's heartbreak, I kept finding myself inside asking all these questions that I was very hesitant to name out loud. And I I couldn't help myself from wondering about the mysteries of their heartbreak. Why had that been the final straw? And why were some drawn to the same kinds of people again and again? And was there any way to fix the foibles of humanity, both in oneself and then in the wider community? And also, I just spent uh, three and a half, technically, years studying God. Really, let's be frank, though. I've been studying my whole life trying to figure out who the fuck God is and why, why, why. And so, how did God fit into all of that therapy stuff? So that was A. B, I already had a career path. I was going to discover the mysteries of God instead of humanity. Truthfully, I did not expect to get paid well for either of these things, so it didn't seem like there was much financial gain to be shifting midstream. I mean... Not only did they both pay poorly, but it it just seemed like people were going to project their deepest longings onto you, no matter which way you went. And I was more intrigued by God then than others. I didn't find another therapist until I found myself at divinity school. I was feeling paralyzed by social anxiety. And, And I say feeling, not actually being. Because I was still able to connect In fact, I'm not sure if I was to go back to Journey Back in Time and like interview people then and say, does Jen seem paralyzed by social anxiety? I doubt anybody would agree. I learned long ago 
how to create a kind of pseudo intimacy with others, that they would know me, supposedly. They would know the surface of me. They would even know the vulnerability of me, but they wouldn't know me. It's hard to explain that there is a kind of fake authenticity that when you have a lot of depth inside, depth that you are wary of sharing with others, if you are also good at connecting, at least on the surface level, people may never know that they don't actually know you. I don't know if that makes sense, and it probably only makes sense if you do that thing. And truthfully, I'm not convinced that not all of us do it. That sentence didn't make any sense. Let me say it again. I am convinced that all of us have some pseudo-intimacy that we practice. I'm getting a little off point, though. I had discovered at that point that although I felt social anxiety, others did not see it. Because what was happening internally wasn't nearly as close to the surface as it seemed to be for others. That is what I call my depth, and it is really fucking annoying to have depth, as I and many of my clients will attest. It's also really fucking amazing. And so I went to therapy, and because I thought, well, maybe I just need to change my thinking, as I had done months, really years ago at this point. If I just change my thinking, maybe change some of my behavior learn to be better at uh, pseudo-connecting with others, then maybe I will feel better about this. Except it didn't. Nor did simply talking about action steps to take. Although I always like action steps. They make me feel good. They make me feel secure. What it turned out I was actually needing, not necessarily wanting, but needing, was to be in relationship with someone who would understand me. Understand the parts of me that I didn't know how to articulate. The caves in my inner world. And the monsters that lurked there. So I saw Johnny. I I don't know how much of my inner caves and monsters she saw. She's one of the therapists on site at Wake Forest. And when I ran out of sessions, which in retrospect, I think she gave me more than I probably was actually allotted. I saw her for almost every week for almost a year. But when I ran out of sessions, she sent me to Susan. Susan was a therapist in town. Her office was right across the street from the hospital where I had started my chaplaincy training. And Susan began to offer me a framework to understand my own depth. Well, Johnny had held me and assured me that it would be okay, even when I didn't know how it would be okay. Susan helped me work things out. She made going inside safe. And it's not that I hadn't spent time there before, but it was one of the first times I ever brought somebody with me. And so Susan, she helped offer me this framework to understand my own depth. We met as I worked out how to allow myself to be attracted to kindness, not just charming self-involvement, and how to let myself choose work that wouldn't punish me but would rather let me shine in all my strengths and joy. With her, I chose to quit a job that wrung me dry. I quit a career path that would have traumatized more than thrilled me. And I let myself drop into love with someone I cherish even more now than then. I've found that love gets sweeter and richer each year. 
I'm so glad I learned to allow myself to be drawn by kindness. I was so sad to leave her. The last time I talked to her, I was in Philadelphia, helping my partner pack as we prepared to move to D.C. I had just seen the last Harry Potter movie in the theater. And total side note, I really miss seeing movies in the theater. I'm really excited that someday COVID will, I don't know, maybe not be cured, but vaccinated. And I can go back to sitting in the dark, entering into somebody else's story. But that that Harry Potter movie that I watched, the very last one, it stirred something in me. And I, I couldn't articulate it then, but it brought all my fears of the future to the surface. In retrospect, there was apocalypse approaching, offering to take me deeper into myself. As per usual, I rejected it. I chose to believe it was just the fear of being a therapist. The fear of starting grad school again, of having a lack of money, of having to depend on my partner more than anyone since my parents long ago. I've been financially independent since I was 18. Although, I don't know if that's true. I relied on the government giving me student loans that I could pay back at an enormous rate of interest later on. If that's financial independence, then I had it. But I I was afraid of going deeper. I still think about Susan and really hope she's enjoying her retirement. Ending with a therapist is kind of like ending a romantic entanglement. And not just a romantic entanglement. There's a way to minimize my time with Susan. It's like ending this really profoundly intimate, although not sexual, relationship. And the longer it goes on, the more time it takes to consider really entering into a new relationship. And it doesn't mean you don't enter into a new relationship very soon thereafter, but the intimacy, it takes time to build, it takes time to go deeper, just takes time. And it it sometimes seems like you may be destined to rebound with not great fix the first time or two as you work out who you really need next. And so I ended with Johnny the summer before I moved to the D.C. area, and it wasn't until my second year of grad school, during a group therapy class, that I knew I needed to go back. The murkiness of boundaries in that class really fucked with my internal system. Group has always been hard for me, particularly when groups are unbounded, where there are multiple roles, where the power dynamics aren't clear. And really, in retrospect, what fucked most with me was that the authority was not part of the group, was not engaged, but sat to the side taking notes. Authority as observer, authority as judge and jury, it's always triggered me. So I went back to therapy. And I felt like one of those dogs tortured so we could discover the principle of learned helplessness. I could feel my helplessness in that group. I could feel my helplessness in my life. And helplessness is death. So I went back to therapy. I started by seeing the head of the counseling center weekly for the summer, needing from him the validation that I wasn't crazy to dislike that class so much. And we met for six sessions. A brief, albeit a psychological fling. He was pretty good, and he was in demand. 
and I wanted more than just once a month therapy. And as like a double sidetrack, because I want to talk about once a month therapy in just a sec, you all may have heard Herbie was crying in the background, and so for the first time ever, the cats have decided to join me in podcast recording. So I don't know if they're going to cry more since they got what they wanted and be in my office, but wanted to let you all know that we have a little bit of company. So, but once a month therapy, seriously, who the fuck only wants to go to therapy once a month? If you only want to go to therapy once a month, A, you've never had a very good therapist. B, you are avoiding something, dude. Because when we only go once a month, there's just this sense that we're just playing catch up. We're just sort of doing surface level shit. And if we're just doing surface level shit, that means that there's some other stuff that you need to be working on. And or if surface level shit is the only thing you want to do, then just come more frequently and get it done sooner rather than later. So that's my little rant about once a month. I didn't want to go once a month. And so when that's all he had available, he suggested that I might like to see a student, a grad student who's doing their internship. And really, I shouldn't have been seeing a student. I myself was a student doing my internship. I was doing really interesting and challenging work at the agency that I worked at. And I don't know, I I needed more. I needed more seasoning, and I, I certainly needed more frequency. And I chose frequency. However, <laughs> the grad student that I worked with, a PhD applicant, I think, at one of the more prestigious programs in D.C., I just assumed because she went to a better named school than me and she's going to get a PhD as opposed to just a master's, assumed that she would be as good, if not better, than me. She wasn't. I have so much more compassion for her now. And it's not that I didn't then, but now I can really appreciate what a challenging client I must have been. Not because I was difficult to engage with, but because I was and am a tricky client. Gosh, it's so interesting. My cats are crying so much today. That's Olivia, if y'all can hear her. I have the door open, so maybe they will or won't come in. I don't know. But as I'm saying, I am a tricky client. I can create a pseudo-intimacy so beautiful, so engaging, you'd never suspect it wasn't real. And anytime I showed her my depth, she drew away. And so I stopped showing it, of course. And quickly, it seemed like a waste of time to go, so she could just practice her basic listening skills on me. So I ghosted. I canceled an appointment and I promised to reschedule. But I never did. I took the wrong lesson from that encounter. The lesson I took was I had achieved the upper limit of being a client. That I had learned all I could from the therapeutic relationship as a client. And now it was time for me just to be the therapist. I knew many therapists at that point, and none of them had ever mentioned going to therapy. So I just assumed it wasn't something that therapists did. Like you outgrew it at some point, maybe after you got your degree. So I didn't go to therapy when I graduated and feared being poor forever. I didn't go to therapy when I got my first job and quickly felt overwhelmed by all the pain that surrounded the mental illness. I didn't go to therapy when I struggled to fit in. Instead, I took on the persona of dark humor and judgment of annoying clients that seemed to fit all my agency colleagues like a glove. 
I didn't go to therapy when I saw clients who felt the depth of emptiness in their bones and crafted elaborate and destructive interpersonal ways of relating, many of which they played out with me. I didn't go to therapy when I got engaged to this magical man, and I didn't go when the clients in my private practice began to break my heart again and again and again. I didn't go until six months before my wedding, when a couple I had been seeing dramatically broke apart, and as I was sobbing in my supervisor's office that I was terrified that I was going to get divorced and end up heartbroken and alone. I don't know that I would have gone then, except as I was apologizing to her, saying, I know this isn't therapy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She sat so calmly with me, holding this emotional dump, and she said only one thing I really remember. I think you need to go to therapy with Cheryl. She does soul work. You're her kind of client. I'm a client who does soul work. It hummed inside me, and the next morning, on the little piece of paper with Cheryl's name and her phone number, I called, leaning on the kitchen island, hoping that I would get her voicemail. And I did. And somehow that felt both better and worse. I think I left a fairly composed message. I used all the therapy jargon that I had been so carefully learning. I was intent on not crying. When she called back, I started off okay, but soon my jargon and explanations turned into hiccuping tears. I'd never cried on the phone with a therapist before. Not with Susan, not with that CBT therapist, not with anybody, even when my world had been spinning out of control. And it's not that Cheryl was magical, although she is. It's that I had been waiting so long that things were bubbling and bubbling and bubbling, and so much was rising to the surface, I could no longer contain it. And it wasn't just that what was rising to the surface was insignificant or small. Some of it was, some of it wasn't. It was that there was so much underneath it that even things that seemed disproportionate had roots into the depth of me. So, of course, I cried. And now we're back to the beginning. To the beginning on that bottle blue day, the sun so bright it hurt my eyes. My heart was in a mad dash inside of me, wishing to run far, far away. Or maybe run far, far towards. Excitement and dread always get mixed up inside of me. And as I walked in, I touched the willow brushes on my walk. Back pre-COVID, when, you know, we went to places and saw people in the flesh without masks on, I always made sure to brush them with my hands as I walked to therapy. It's a kind of soul ritual to remind myself of my softness and the benefit of being in touch with wisdom that my body and mind have to offer to me. On that first day, I walked into the office. I was checking my phone to make sure I had the address and the suite number correct, and then I slipped off my shoes as the sign indicated, and I sat in the squeaky faux leather chair, my stomach churning, desperate to spew out the sources of pain to this new person, who probably already thought that I was way worse than I actually am, given how I reacted on the phone. 
I said to myself, I will not cry. I will just explain my problems and together we'll solve them. And then I can go back to being done with therapy. I'm a therapist. I'm not supposed to be going to therapy. What the fuck is wrong with me? And as I was having this internal, very critical, shame-driven conversation with myself, she came out and she greeted me. She wore a kind of Mona Lisa smile, like she already knew the mysteries of my pain and joy. Jen, you can come on back. I followed her down the hall and worked quickly to mask my surprise that there were no chairs, only a mattress on the floor filled with pillows and these uh, semi-foldable chair things that were right there on the ground, which are called backjacks, so you can Google them if you don't know what I'm talking about. And those little chairs seem kind of similar to the chairs that people bring to sit on in the bleachers for football games. It was odd. All of the therapy offices I had been, other than the very first one, they had a couch and they had a chair and they had very generic art that you could buy at Target or Kohl's. Not Cheryl's office. I walked in. I acted like I knew what I was doing. I went and sat on the edge of the mattress, the pile of pillows pushing me closer to the edge. And as I sat, I was caught by the way the light streamed through the windows. It was the same as the light that had been in my elementary school art class. It was magic. It was finding me 20 years later like it had been waiting for me, waiting to unveil my hidden parts, illuminating the art I was about to create with the depth of feeling I had been holding for so long. I still see Cheryl every week. We haven't solved my surface-level problems. Turns out I didn't need help with that. I needed someone who recognized the artist inside and could help translate my heart's mysteries onto the medium of life and consciousness. There are many ways to unveil your inner world, many paths to do so. Some choose meditation and Buddhist teachers. Some choose a mad love affair that destroys as much as it excites. Some record and decode their dreams and others allow their nightmares to dismantle them, seeking to make sense of the monstrous that lies inside. Some write poetry, and others to-do lists. I chose therapy. Or maybe, maybe it chose me. Maybe it chose me on that road when I contemplated dying rather than living. I don't know. I just know that I feel at home in therapy in ways that are both profoundly lovely and make me so squirmy. Therapy kind of works like this. You create the structure inside, sometimes outside, so you can allow yourself to be held. And once you let yourself be held, then you deep dive into the ocean of you to understand who and what you are, not to mention who and what others are. It's not really that linear, though. Therapy itself isn't a step-by-step process, though many of us attempt to make it that way, because it feels easier to control if we know what we ought to be working toward at any given moment. However, finding a therapist actually, in some ways, can be a step-by-step process. I I think for a lot of people, they do what I did back then, 
and they just look in, it's not really a book anymore, but it's a, a psychology today, which is a therapy directory or on their insurance website. They just look and see who is closest geographically and they go. They don't know how to find who is relationally closest. It's a mystery. It's a mystery when you're trying to solve yourself to try to figure out who you need to help you solve yourself. And not just solve, but to uncover, to unveil, to illuminate. I feel for people. I, for a while, and still am in many ways, became a therapy evangelist, wanting to spread the gospel, the good news of what it feels like to have someone who sees you, who understands you, who wants to help, who wants to help you understand. A lot of people don't know how to get there, though. And so something I have been tinkering with, working on, and I'm still truthfully working on, is this little guide. And it's not so little because nothing I do is ever so little. But this guide, this class to teach you how to find a therapist who really gets you. And I, I want you to know if you're interested, it's when I'm recording this is not quite live. Who knows? Maybe it will be by the time I put this out into the world. A little ahead of time today. Ahead of time. Ahead of schedule. I don't know that you can get ahead of time. Anyhow, I'm rambling a little bit. If you're interested, if you're thinking, yeah, I, I would like to choose therapy. I would like to choose somebody who gets me, who helps me make art of everything that I thought was shit inside. Then I'm going to suggest you go over to thinkersguide.com slash find a therapist. You can join our wait list. You'll be the first to know when I finally set this thing free into the world to help everybody who chooses the path of therapy to find their Susan, to find their Cheryl, without actually having to know a Johnny or my supervisor who, who sent me to Cheryl. Her name was Carrie. Oh, Elliot's climbing up my chair. I don't know if you guys can hear him. Elliot, you're getting stuck, bud. I'll take a picture and put it on social media. He's so funny. Okay. That's all I have for today. Although let me end with a quote by an artist before I take a picture of Elliot sitting on my chair. Frida Kahlo said a while back, more than a while back, I never paint dreams or nightmares. I paint my own reality. And so I want to encourage you to be sure to subscribe before next week's episode. So you'll be the first to hear about the reality we discover in the defeat of our most cherished illusions. I'll see y'all then. Dude, thank you so much for hanging out, exploring your depth, and I hope allowing yourself to be challenged to go deeper in understanding what makes you and your inner world tick. As always, I'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you'd like to collect all your podcasts. If you're gaining value or you just really like the podcast, I'd love for you to help me spread the word. As G.B. Stern said, silent gratitude isn't much use to anyone. If you're an Instagrammer, feel free to screenshot an episode, add it to your stories, and tag me at Therapy for Thinkers. 
If you are not a social media person, totally okay. Just share it with somebody you care about who you think might enjoy it. All right, that's enough rambling for today. I'll catch you guys next time.